All right, on today's edition of Pipeline Things, um, we try to tell one of our close friends and, and, and clients in the industry that he most resembles Spawn. I'm not sure how he's <laughs> going to take that. If you're not familiar with who Spawn is, you need to read the comic. I picked that man. Uh, so more important than that, we, we tackle some really critical things in yeah. REN2 of the updated gas rule. So if if you've ever had questions around the words permanently restore using crack calculations on metal loss calls or maybe even about the new crack response criteria and want to hear uh, some takes and reactions to it and maybe some some guidance advice for operators this is a great episode uh, as we work with mr brian jimenez and we think you'll enjoy it thank you very much Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Rhett Dotson, and my co-host, Mr. Christopher DeLeon. And I have to be honest with you, Chris, every yep. time we do the high five, it is an intense moment of focus to make sure I don't miss your hand, hit Because your someone wrist. will call you out on that again. <laughs> I have been Thank called you, out multiple way. times for missing that. Yeah. Um, but it's super exciting, man, to get this third episode as we yeah. get uh, 2023 underway. Uh, if people are watching on the uh, the YouTube channel, you can see that we are in we a still, restaurant surrounded by Christmas decorations. <laughs> so we're still within the realm of, of the holiday season. This is actually our first shoot coming back from the new year. So shaking the rust off, uh, man. How was your break? Um, so super excited. Uh, we actually got to, to head down south of the border to Mexico and, and visit some family we haven't seen in a while. So that was super nice. neat. And uh, just lessons learned. You know, uh, you and your traveling. You know, you had some tire issues. I said, you know what? It's probably we drive. It's tire issues with us is an understatement, but yes, <laughs> it's probably a good idea for me to get my tires checked. And so, so you learned from my mistakes. I did. I tried to be proactive as, you know, integrity management, process management, oh, all that fun stuff, risk management. Love it. So I go to Discount Tire. We love those guys. Uh, they bring out this full of device. They, they scan my tires. I'm like, dude, look, you're technically safe, but if you're going to take a long road trip, I wouldn't do it. So we didn't get new tires. One thing leads to the next. I need new lug nuts. I order new lug nuts. I run to the post office to pick them up. They're in two boxes. This is perfect. So I go pick up the lug nuts. I go to discount tower. So if you are only listening, Chris is now picking up a box to show us on screen. And I hand the box over to them. I didn't open it because I knew what it was. Absolutely. And so one box had the lug nuts. The other box didn't. And they gave me this box back after they gave me my tires. And they said, hey, Mr. DeLone, forgive us, but we can't put perishable items on your tires. <laughs> so wait, you gave them a box that wasn't full of lug nuts. Yes. And it turns out that our, our friend, the dirt merchant over at Geosyntech sent us chocolates. So Get one, one was for me, one was for you. So here is your box oh, of chocolates wow. from so Alex McKenzie Johnson. If you're listening, you have learned, thank you, Alex. Thank you, dirt merchant. Uh, that you cannot indeed um, attach tires to your car with chocolates. Yeah, so. that chocolates, I guess the techs are in a good mood, but um, Amanda loved them. I'm sure Morgan will as well. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned tires because I got my own tire thing going on right now. And it actually will tie very well into today's episode. So I have had a screw mm. in my tire for almost like a month that I need to take to discount tire and get mm. them to pull it out. And I keep thinking, how long can I drive around with the screw? And it's actually wearing down. And you wonder why stuff happens to you. Shut up. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I think it's just barely in there, but I'm not confident enough to pull it out myself. I don't know why. 
Um, yeah. So it kind of bugs this condition, like, you know, when do you need to repair a tire? And, and it's so real, What is right? the repair or the response criteria? No, it, and I would say it's risk management, right? I mean, that's exactly all it is, right? At what point do you decide it's time to repair think, this? What is the response? This you discovered it. <laughs> You discovered it. It's an you performed an evaluation. You've accepted no. a certain level of risk, and you it's are. It's a six month repair criteria, <laughs> a response criteria. So, uh, if y'all haven't figured out today on the show, that's actually what we're going to be talking about. We've been on this uh, this kick talking Dude, about so the updated that gas so rule. And today we are going to be talking about the updated gas rule, specifically the repair response criteria in the updated sections for 714 and 933. And yeah. you can see there's an empty chair here in between us because we have a special guest that we're bringing on today. And it is time for that guest to make his way down. I'd like to introduce Mr. Brian Jimenez, who is the Director of Pipeline Integrity for Energy Transfer East. Welcome, so buddy. as he comes hey. on. It's been a long time coming. Good to see you. Brian, welcome to yeah. the show. Thanks for having me. Um, awesome. Been a so, long time listening. Excited long to, time listener. Long time listener. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to ask any questions because we might find out he's not. So. No. <laughs> I mean, I might have binged them all you know, the last couple days. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have been listening for a while. Well, so, in spirit of the holiday season, and uh, we just like to give gifts. Okay. And one of the most recent ones that we had was um, was a Q&A session. And, and in spirit of the Q&A session and some of my personal tendencies, uh, we brought you, I brought okay. you something, we brought you something, Rhett doesn't really know Chris what it is. Chris brought you something for both of us. Uh -oh. so it comes from so both of us. here you go, go on ahead and open it up and let us know what you found. kind of scary. <laughs> uh, I'm actually curious what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling Rhett might like this better than the yeah, I do. So, that's awesome. I, I'm kind of so uh, wow. one of the questions was, um, who would you be Batman or Robin, and obviously I said, you know, Batman's one of my, my favorite characters. So for so. those who are listening, uh, we gave, we, oh, yeah. using we, even though it's totally Chris, <laughs> gave Brian uh, a Batman vs. Spawn exclusive edition comic. Yeah. There's so, lots of ways I want to run with this, because if you're Batman, does that mean he's Spawn? Yeah, what does that mean? There's a lot of ways me. to go. So all I'll say is this, is it's... Uh, so you died, so, you found yourself in hell, and now yeah. you've come back as a... As, <laughs> As a vigilante. Well, I don't so, know what he's trying to tell you. I will not spoil this because this is called a one shot, so it's not a series. Okay. So Trevor McFarlane did this with Frank Miller because I like the Dark Knight. Okay. The Frank yep. Miller version of Batman. Right. Um, I think it was '93 or '94, and that was it. It was just a one one book. Okay. And so they decided to do it again this year, and uh, Barnes and Nobles had a limited release. So I don't know. It's just it's if a cool you don't like cover. It, give it to your kids. No, yeah, I give it to somebody. Give it a read. It's I a couple pages. It and, yeah, it'll be fun. And, and share it with my son. Yeah, he'll he'll love it. I'm sure. So, awesome. Well, thank you. But anyways, yeah, thank welcome. Thanks yeah. for making time for us. Absolutely. 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 Um, so you already know, we've already prepped you that we're going to be talking <laughs> about uh, the the new versions of the updated gas rule. Right. And I do feel it's it's worthwhile, you know, again to let the audience know that we're going to be talking primarily about 192.714 and 192.933. Those two sections were updated. Uh, we're not going to differentiate in between them because as right. we already yeah. mentioned the language is identical between the two, largely when we talk about repair response criteria. Maybe so, not everybody knows that. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's do it. So 714D and 933D are essentially the same sections, uh, with the only division being one and two year conditions between non-HCA locations and HCA locations. But I, that's not where I want to spend the bulk of the time in the show. Yeah, and again, we're talking about gas regulations, yep. CFR 192. Yep, yep absolutely. 
I also think it's important in the interest of protecting Brian that Brian is not speaking on behalf of energy transfer at all today. Correct. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you were listening to the show, massive disclaimer, maybe Miss Miss Producer will put like a red traveling thing underneath, you know, <laughs> note, Brian speaks on behalf of his own authority. Yes. Uh, our objective today is there are a lot of operators out there who have only maybe lightly read over this, maybe who haven't read over it some at all. Right. Um, we're asking Brian on behalf of one of the major gas operators in the United States to, to no, offer some advice. No, and it's not, and I, I, I want to jump in there a little bit. It's not on behalf oh, yeah, I used the wrong word of there. one of the major As operators. a member of I'll, one I'll of I'll say them. it a different way. You know, we reach out to our guests yes. because of their experience up. or their strong opinions sure. as a person in certain topics. Right. And and Brian holds a dear place in my heart. <laughs> so when I was an intern uh, from oh the University gosh. of Houston yep. back in the days at Southern Union Panhandle yep. Energy, Brian was a, an integrity engineer. And I learned a whole lot from him. And, yeah. and then that 2007 to 2009 time frame, right. you know, we were neck deep yep. in what we'll call IMP 1.0. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we so, were. you know, we went through this cycle of there's code. We're trying mm -hmm. to interpret it. How do you action it? Yep. And now we have this IMP, if we call it 2.0. Yep. And so you've been living this for a long exactly. time. And I just felt like this would be a good opportunity for you to just kind of share some of your personal insights, experiences advice, and insights. Like yeah. what would you tell somebody who yeah. maybe doesn't have the resources of a major gas operator, or hasn't yeah. looked at it, hey, be, be careful. But again, speaking on behalf of yourself, Right. Not energy transfer. Sorry, yeah. I actually and, said that. And wrong. anybody that knows me knows I don't have very strong opinions. You uh, want anything? That's great. <laughs> this will be. No, who's better, Batman, uh, hey, who's better Batman or Spawn? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, people know that I do have very strong opinions on things like this. But yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. All right. So, um, the, the first thing I, I noticed as I read through it, mm -hmm. and I'm going to start in, in 192.714, and this is actually outside of the repair response criteria, but right. Ford introduces them in section D. Right. It says that an operator um, of this section must you know, either remove by cutting out the pipeline material, so it gives you as one option, or the second option, it says repaired by a method shown by technically proven engineering tests and analyses that will permanently restore mm -hmm. the pipeline's MAOP. Right. My first reaction to that, I actually circled permanently restore, and then I went to Google and looked up the <laughs> definition of permanent, which is lasting indefinitely, and I thought, pipelines themselves don't last indefinitely, so the use of that word, do pipelines last? I mean, with, indefinite? With, with, depends, right? That's what pipeline integrity is for, bro. That's why we're, that's that's why we're around. Pipeline integrity, man. That's why we're around, to make sure it does. I feel right? like, well, still eventually, at some point, maybe thousands of years, we'll become back to our components of If iron. we don't do our job, then well, maybe. Okay. That's a fair point. All right, so would, you're actually doing a great job. But let me ask you, what are your thoughts on the use of the word permanently yeah. repair? Right. And do you have any reactions or thoughts to yeah. it? Yeah, I think, first off, yeah, permanent repair, I mean, I think each operator is going to have to define what that means for themselves because FIMS obviously doesn't define that. You know, they don't go into the specific repair methods that that are a permanent repair. They don't say composites are permanent repair. They don't yeah. say compression sleeves are permanent repair. They don't even say type B sleeves are That's permanent true. repairs. Yeah. So each operator is going to have to decide through their industry peers, you know, through PRCI repair manuals and, and other other reports on what is a permanent repair, um, yeah. you know, per per defect, a permanent repair over a metal loss feature in a pipe body, a, a, a permanent repair over a crack or, 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 or uh, a preferential seam corrosion, right? So they're going to have to decide what best fits that defect and what can they can define as permanent. I mean, I think 
It's going to be on, it's gonna be on the operator. Too, right? so it's it's going to be quite possible that a, a repair for one defect may right. be permanent and for another defect may not be permanent. Exactly. Or you can't apply that at all. It's it's, it's metal loss over, over a girth weld or it's at a bend mm -hmm. and you can't do this and that. You, you really have to rely back on your own M procedures, you rely back on the industry, what's been out there, other multiple reports, and, and just even the composite types themselves, whether it's from specific yeah. vendors, specific manufacturers, you have to decide and, and make sure you have that engineering testing yeah. that says this repair method is permanent for that defect. The, you know, the, the word that comes to my mind is um, interpretation. Interpretation is, is yeah. yeah. I absolutely. feel like, um, you know, if we look back at IMP 1.0 and, and now if, we, if we're if we dubbing this, right, we're calling it IMP 2.0 or to move away from new gas floor, new mega roll or whatever. I feel like a, a big effort that we undertook in, in the first phase of IM integrity management in the late 2000s and mm -hmm. early 2000s was interpretation. Yeah. Right, and I feel like we're in that yeah. situation again now. It's right. Yeah, it's, it's you have language that's written, <clears throat> and there's a lot of words, and we have to begin to understand as an industry what do we think it means. Right, and then like you just brought up as an operator. As an so operator. maybe one one thing I'll offer as just information is, um, I, and we won't speak too much about it, but I think Inga did submit a um, a petition. And to some parts of of this regulation, and I think a lot of it has to do with interpretation. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you know what one of the things we got from part, I guess IMP 1.0 was FAQs. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think FAQs have come out for this yet, right? No, they haven't. Um, you know, obviously for phase one or RIN one of Mega Roll, we got FAQs. We got one yeah. set, and we got a second draft set, which hasn't even been finalized either. Um, yeah. And then with with phase two or RIN two, we were hoping that we get FAQs. There, you know, FIMSA did put out a, a a letter towards the end of the last year, end of 2022, about having a um, a, uh, uh, a compliance or, or, or a discretionary period of time that they're not going to enforce the regulation to give us given operators nine months. But in those nine months, they said that they would be helping operators determine and interpret their code. Yeah. And I was I would assume that means some FAQs. Interpretation is key. Obviously, we talked about that from Subparto from the beginning, and, and I'm sure beyond our time, interpretation has always been key with these regulations. And it's not just what the industry, what an operator, but also what that individual inspector. I mean, I don't know how many audits you guys have been in, but an individual inspector reads something or interprets something or from an FAQ or from the regulation, and they have a different perspective than what everyone else does. That's a so I'm, I'm going to do I'm this. Telling you, I, no, this I was is actually going to ask. Yes or no? Yes or no? For both of you, then go on your soapbox. Yeah. Since y'all live through IMP 1.0, do you feel interpretation is less than, greater than, or approximately the same as what it was for IMP 1.0? I, uh, that's, I, that's a hard one. I mean, it's not I, less than. It's not less than. It's, it's not less than. Okay, that's so, a I'll, I'll give you my soapbox. And, and this is lessons learned to our, 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 yeah. our listeners here and our watchers. It's, again, late 2000s, we're in an inspection. And we get we get dinged or there's a finding that we don't consider tool tolerances when we establish response criteria. Sure. Yeah. And I was the integrity engineer on it. We're working on a team, and I say there's no one in code that tells you you have to add tool tolerance to every call to be more conservative. Right. This is in a data integration process. Right. We have conservatism. Right. And we got to the point to where at the end of the day, we we I'll say this: we lost the argument because they said that there was an FAQ. Mm -hmm that provided the interpretation that that was the expectation. And our rebuttal was, 
FAQs aren't code. They aren't code. Yep. And that wasn't enough. We right. were still challenged and yep. forced to change the procedures at the time. So right. back to this whole realm of what do I do? I think it's important for you as an operator and even as a consultant, as part of an industry stakeholder, to sure. really understand the dynamics of the importance of interpretation and enforcement. Understand the dynamics of it for sure, but also have the robust procedures and plans in place that you can define that. Yeah. Define and defend. Define and defend, exactly. Define and defending is better than having yeah. nothing on it at all. Because then you're defending something of an opinion or, or of, you know, just, oh, this is what we always assume to be. And that's valid, right? Because right, yeah. at the time, so, our procedure wasn't, I guess, so pointed towards right. something as an FAQ, right? We right. didn't address yeah. at the time FAQ X right. is addressed in our procedure this way. Right. So. And so going back to the permanent repair, in your own manual for, for your repairs, here are the repairs that are per defect. They're approved, they're permanent per defect. That that has to be done. I mean, if you don't have that now in your in your own manual, your SOPs, whatever you call it, you you should get on that because yeah. that that's key for for any not, not just not just for the inspections. It's not just getting through inspections, right? It's about actually applying it and getting to yeah. the people in the field, and getting to the to your engineers, your project managers. They know repeatability, they know what options they have to make those repairs. So it goes beyond just inspection. I know we talk a lot about inspection, but it does. it is actually about improving the integrity of that pipeline. It's fabulous. I always, I never know how long a given question I ask is going to sure. go. I was like, that'll be a quick that's one. And it's like that's 10 that's minutes that's later, man, y'all are like diving in. Chris finds yeah. a soapbox. Is this banter or is this meat? This is me. This is me, um, right? Okay. So uh, let's get right on to our sec second topic. <laughs> and this one's really interesting for me. And there's a lot of things to talk about in here because I, I think it's so interesting. You guys mentioned interpretation. And I think the language that yeah. we're going to hone in on. Yeah. So this next one is point four. Uh, and again, appears in both of them. And it's obviously targeting selective seamwalt corrosion. So they've refined the regs to go after that. But yep. they did it in such a way that, again, I think opens up a lot of questions that I would have for you. Yep. Um, so metal loss, preferentially affecting, so preferentially mm -hmm. affecting is mm -hmm. one, a detected long seam, two, yep. if that long seam was formed by, and it gives a whole bunch of susceptible mm -hmm. welds, direct current, low frequency ERW, high frequency ERW, mm -hmm. EFW, and joints with a long seam factor less than one. So again, yep. it gives all of that joint factor, mm -hmm. basically groups our susceptible welds. Right. It says, in the predicted failure pressure determined in accordance with 192.712D, so yep. for our audience, 712D is the new crack calculations from REN1, is less than 1.25 times MAOP. So let me sum it up for the audience, because I just read code and that makes it hard. If you find a feature that is preferentially affecting a detected long seam, that is metal loss, and you run crack calculations that show it's less than 1.25 times MAOP, right. you have to respond as an immediate. Right. That opens up a whole host of questions whole, for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to get your reaction. So I, let's start with preferential and detected long seam. What advice or yeah. just initial do you thoughts? Have what's, on your that? Reaction. Reaction. Yeah, thoughts what's your reaction? Initial thoughts. Yeah. Initial thoughts is how do we get there? How do we identify and detect preferential metal loss in the seam, in specific seams, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that goes back to, again, your definitions, your, your, your terms, 
and your comfortability with your ally vendors. Yeah. You have to challenge them. Sorry, mm. sorry, former. No, no, we're vendors, good. But you have to challenge. We have no affiliation. We're D2I, right? We're exactly. Hey, we but, are data to integrity. Yeah. If someone else I produces like the data, I like it. we help you get to integrity. Like <laughs> but you have to challenge their abilities to detect it, not just from the ally perspective. So you got to find out what's the right tool to, to run, and then you have to be able to to, to challenge their ability to properly identify it from from a data analyst side yeah. is it preferential or is it just metal loss across crossing the scene that's been yeah. a huge issue i think across the industry yeah. that it's it, we're trying to attack selective seam wheel corrosion here that's what that yes, means that's right? what they're going that's after. what that means yeah. not just general corrosion or corrosion that may be touching or crossing that's really a pig. But see, that's where the interpretation becomes important so what happens if you end up in an audit right and a guy's like hey uh, here's an MFLA call out that it says interacts with a long seam. Right. So number one, you got an MFLA tool, yep. which is not the appropriate so, tool for detecting a long seam. Nope. It's call out, is that preferential? So the, the, I, I want to share maybe my my initial reaction to this. Yep. Is it, I kind of applaud FEMSA for what they tried to do here. Yeah, I agree. A lot of times like on the dent stuff, it's, it's more confusing than helpful sometimes. Yes. Yeah. But on this one, I actually think FIMSA did a good job of trying to communicate the intent. Yes. And that's this. In IMP 1.0, they used they incorporated by reference, we talked about this, ASME B31.8S, and, and it uses words like any, yeah. which make things really complicated. It's yeah. a poor use of so resources. Just work, yeah. Any metal loss affecting yeah. a long yeah. seam yeah. was an immediate yeah. in 31.8S, which some operators interpreted as immediates from there. And, and so right. pro what's the problem with that? You're, you're <laughs> wasting resources. Absolutely. You're not using data right. engineering to, to manage the risk of your pipeline. Right. Here, that content is there, or the pointers, if I use it, are there, right? Sure. They're saying it has, they're pointing towards prefer preferential orientation to specific long seam types which is trying to address the real problem. Which that is, is, which the is real positive, problem. right? That's the real so problem. That's I just want to share my initial yes. reaction yes. is yes. the substance is there for you to define and defend. Right. This is what we're looking for. Right. Yes. My second reaction is, and I think you did a good job of setting the stage here, is it's MFL tools are not the greatest crack tools. No. And what well, I want, that's where we're going next. And, and, and so yeah, the, what, what I'll say is, it's, and we'll, uh, this, my segue is this, and I'll end it with this, is it's your ILI system tool data evaluation processes yes, yep, yep. have to be qualified for the objective. Right. Right? So it's not just about resolution right. and algorithm and experience of analysts. So not any MFL tool not any calling MFL any metal loss feature yes. associated with a long seam you that you don't have records to You justify. need a procedure right. that this technology is qualified for this intent. Right, exactly. Hand it back to you. Guys. No, exactly right. That if you don't have it in your plan or your procedure or your specification, you need to get it in there because you're right, you don't want to leave it to, well, it's any. You don't specify which one, so it must be any. Any tool that sees any metal loss in any scene, no, you need to define those parameters so that you stay to it and get to, back to the point, the original intent of that part of the regulation is for selective seam corrosion. We know that. And so let's let's focus on that. Let's get the technology there. Um, you know, talk to your vendors, talk to your, talk to your experts and try to find out what the right system is, right, the right tool is, the right data analysis side. And going back to a little bit about what you said, using metal loss detection, you know, anomalies and running crack calculations. Uh -oh. I call it fraction uh -oh. mechanics you calculations. You know what? We're going to pause <laughs> on that and leave a cliffhanger because we need to come back for a break in just a moment. I'm going to turn it over to Miss Producer where you hear from one of our close associates and we'll be right back with you in a moment. Thanks. 
I'm Kara Turner. I am the managing director and co-founder of ADV Marketing. We get the honor of working with Rhett and Christopher to produce this crazy podcast and also work with them on any other initiatives that they have when it comes to marketing. And if you know them or are listening to this podcast, you know that it gets pretty crazy around here. So we have a lot of fun with them. ADV Marketing is a full-service business-to-business marketing agency. Um, We specialize in service companies and technology companies. So if you are enjoying listening to this podcast and the fun that they're having, reach out to us and see how we can make your marketing fun. All right, welcome back from the break. We are in the middle of breaking down uh, RIM 2 with our guest, Brian Jimenez from Energy Transfer. And so we were in the middle of talking about repair response criteria, and I'd opened up uh, 192.714.D4, and we were talking about that particular section of code that targets selective seamwall corrosion. And right before the break, uh, Brian so cleverly went where I was going to go next, which is he mentioned the fact of we have in the beginning of that phrase, metal loss anomalies paired with that section calling on 712D, which is the crack evaluation. So there's an obvious, I'm gonna say what the hell moment there. What do you do or how do you handle metal loss anomalies combined with fracture mechanics calculations? That's well, reactions. Rea- rea- reactions. First reaction is I understand. Yeah. I guess I understand why they did it because they don't want us to use our standard metal loss calculations for remaining strength for something that is preferential to the seam in the bond line that reacts differently. We can go on and on about the metallurgy of it, right? So we understand that they probably want to be something more conservative. Maybe not even ASMB B31G is not conservative enough. So they want us to use fracture mechanics. Treat it like a crack. Assume Treat it's it, a crack. Assume it's a crack. Yeah. So I get that. So number one is. Are operators ready to do that? Are operators ready to run fracture mechanics models? Do they have the training? Do they have the people they can talk to? Mm-hmm. To which model to run? I know y'all talked about that previously. Yep. What's the right model to run uh, on pipe body? And, and, and we'll get to pipe body uh, cracks in a little bit, but in the mm-hmm. seam, what toughness values you have, what assumed values you have from 712, which are obviously very terrible, very, very Yes, low. you have to have data. I mean, so what Brian, <laughs> again, is referring to right. is that in order to run these crack calculations, you have to understand the nature of the model you're using. Right. Those models required an SME to review them. Right. So, I mean, we could even ask yeah. now, do you have to have SMEs review yeah. your metal loss calculations? Well, they, they, well wow. in, in this case, in 712, <laughs> you can because, 712 what, you can because what they're yes. doing, right, is it's you're you're not in 712, yeah. and they push, you're treating metal loss as crack, like, so they push you to 712. They called it by reference. You are and, telling yeah, me this. They called the section by and, reference. And now in 712, it clearly says you have to have this reviewed by an SME. You have to have it reviewed by SME. Me. You have to have the, the 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 data parameters, the values, as you mentioned, to run it. And some models need CVN. Some models need fracture toughness. And those uh, have to be TVC, and or then you use the default well, the values, defaults, right? And then in some cases, you know, operators will probably have CVNs already from pipelines, from specific pipe types that they want to use, but they have to decide, do I have enough of those samples? What kind of safety factor do I have to use? Because I pulled one sample out of 50 miles. Well, that's probably not TVC'd, right? So you have to define what is TVC'd, how many samples do I have to get to a significant sample size? When When I can use that value, for CVNs, am I using upper bound, lower bound, you know, in the temperature ranges, all kinds of parameters that once again goes back to writing your procedure, put in your plan, this is what we're doing, this is how we interpret it, this is how we're going forward with it. That's key, is to get it all written down, go through it, 
and continue to evolve. You might want to say at one point, hey, I'm going to run Mad 8 everywhere. And then after a while, maybe 579 is the right. So you, every operator has to make that decision as they go through it and, and continue to I'll, see the results. I want to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. You weren't prepared uh -oh. for this. Uh-oh. All right. Yeah. So when I was watching. Remember, what, you have the option to decline. To just say, I, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> known Chris a long time. I know just I can pull do that out the point. comic and be <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to read now. Yeah, I, can just, I can just go back to, hey, you're intern, I'm engineer. And go, you know. So yeah. Yes, thank you so much. You're my new favorite guest. Sorry, David Futch. Yeah. <laughs> I used to call him a lot. Um, but it, it, what, I, what I wanted to think about was it's, you know, training and qualification mm -hmm. is something that I, I, I really, um, as, a, as a consultant, okay. it's really something that has been a big, like an eye opener for me, sure. right? Is it's, um, you know, one of our last podcasts was about SMEs and defining them and yep. the requirement yep. of you have to names define what tasks them. by names mm -hmm. and what their qualifications mm -hmm. are. So kind of in that vein, again, I'm curious about your reaction yeah. to... This is change. Yep. You're treating, you are now basically integrating fracture mechanics into oh. your normal operations yeah, and absolutely. integrity management where yeah. prior to IMP 2.0, you weren't doing that. It's, it's, it's maybe fair to say yeah. that wasn't common. Yeah. And it's going to become common. It's going to become common. What is your reaction as an operator? Yeah. See, as a consultant, we have to be up tip top on this stuff. Sure. Right? And, and yeah. that, that's what we get hired for. We're yeah. supposed to help when you call. <laughs> but as an operator, not necessarily energy transfer, but sure. in general, as yeah. an operator in the community, yeah. what's your reaction to this idea of qualifications, training, the need to close the gap of we have this requirement and now crack management needs to become a standard practice yeah for even I, metal loss <clears throat> for even metal loss calls yeah. right i think it's 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 about getting your employees uh your engineers the the exposure the experience get, getting them sent to training uh courses working with third-party smes experts understanding who those experts are what models they like to run that's yeah. that's one thing right uh but understanding that that's something that individual operator is comfortable with and then eventually get their own employees comfortable yeah. to do them themselves and not have to go and farm out every every calculation yeah that's going to be key um yeah because i don't think you want to farm out every metal loss run that no, you're going to do on a no. pipe with a long seam that's a lot that's, that's a lot. lot that's a lot and so eventually you're going to want your engineers to be able to run those calculations themselves so you need that training and the qualifications so yeah that's that's an important thing uh once again, outlining your procedures, outlining yeah, your SOPs and your in your IMPs to make sure you have that in there, yeah. and the documentation to back it up. So that was that, that was a great conversation. It leads very naturally into our next one, which is again about cracks. And the, yeah. and the reason that I ha I want to bring this section up is, is I know from discussions that amongst the gas operating community, this has caused a lot of consternation, which is the crack response criteria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I'm going to go through it. Um, so this is in you know part five. Uh, it's any crack or crack-like anomaly. Of 714. Of 714. Okay. Again, it's repeated in 933, but underneath different response times. So right, rather yeah. than being uh, one year, it becomes a two year. The immediates are the same. Immediates are the same. But it says, let, let's just go. Again, I'd encourage the, 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 the listeners of the show to, to dive into these sections so you can see the difference between once and two years. I'm just going to use the immediates for reference. Right. So if you have a crack, depth plus any metal loss is greater than 50% of the pipe wall, it's an immediate. Mm. Um, if the crack depth plus any metal loss is greater than the inspection tool's capability, so that yep. makes sense, saturation limits and UT tools is yep. what they're trying to address there. Uh, or if, and I think this is where the 
probably the heartburn starts to come in. Mm -hmm. If the crack-like anomaly has a predicted failure pressure in accordance with 192.712D, so that we see grabbing on all that fracture stuff we just got done talking about, yeah. is less than 1.25 times MAOP. Yep. So if you have a, a rupture pressure that's less than 1.25 times MAOP, it's an immediate. If yep. the depth is greater than 50%, it's, it's an immediate or greater than 50%. This opens up, I think, a little bit of a Pandora's box we've yeah. seen operators struggle with, and I yeah. want to get your reactions. Because one is, does 50% include tolerance? Because if we start taking, I'm going to use most gas operators, EMAT. We start taking EMAT technology, and we take a 49% feature, and then add on 15% for tolerances. We could right. be talking about features as low as 35% depth, which gets very close to the detection threshold. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah. Uh, if we start talking about less than 1.25 times MAOP, yep. that runs into, well, what if you don't have adequate toughness records and using yep. the default values? Yep. You can run into scenarios where yep. every reportable feature yep. can incidentally follow as an immediate yep. in a pipeline that you may have already hydro-tested right. for stable features. <laughs> I'm setting the groundwork for you. Right. What is your reaction? What is your response so to operators? All of those are exactly what, what operators should be concerned about and trying to address. Um, I think, be, and you mentioned this before in previous podcasts, you have to be prepared when you run an email. You can't just run an email and say, we'll see what happens. Let's kick the tires. Let's kick the tires. Right? So, you might have a nail so, in it like my truck. So you should, you should try to get the samples, get your CVNs, get your fracture toughness values, understand what your TVC, understand what your MEOP and your, your yield strengths are, make sure you are comfortable with that pipe and you have the records or you have the ability to go get the testing done. Uh, I think, because you don't, you're right, you don't want to use defaults. Everything, everything's going to be one point. Defaults and tolerances. Yeah. Let's go. So, <laughs> Uh, I think you have to you have. You don't need any hey, anomaly that's how, hey, hey, Just plan on digging everything. Right. Hey, that that's another way of doing any. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. No. No doubt. But it goes back to again. Again, I'm 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 a Ms. broken record like, here. Mr. Producer's like, what are you? Y'all are idiots. I'm, <laughs> I'm a broken record here, but it's about your procedure. So if you want to, yeah. if, if you if you say, hey, I'm not going to include tolerance until after, well, after what? After validation digs, right? Just like we did for metal loss. Yeah. Let's run the tool with the data we have, perform validation digs. If some of those, if those are immediates, because you have good toughness data, you know, then apply a tool tolerance after yeah. after the fact. That that could be your decision to make. You got to get with your experts. You got to get with the vendors and see what their process is too, because they they want that constant feedback as well. Yeah. They're going to give yeah. you the report and say, all right, go dig them up and see what happens. Well, provide that feedback to them yeah. and, 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 and put and that I in would, your procedure. And I would say a, a fair initial reaction is go read API RP eleven seventy six. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's the the latest is the 2016. However, it's yeah. kind of towards the back end of being updated, so we should see that in 2023. It's not out yet, yeah. but a lot of you guys could probably get your hands on some of the content. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I, you guys have heard this before, right? It, it leverages this concept of a likelihood classification yeah. yes. of yep. the ILI feature, yep. right? So if we look at 1163, you have an indication, which is then yep. interpreted as an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Then that anomaly needs to be determined if it's actionable or not. Yeah. 1176 really gives you a platform or a process to determine what are actionable yeah. anomalies. Yeah, right? you, you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to um, not just take the data as is and go run with it. You have to be able to put it into those different buckets, understand what these calls are, because it's still a relative, as you mentioned yeah. before, a relatively it's new, and it's yeah. still a re well, relatively it's, new process. Yeah, right? process, yeah. Right. So you you got to build those into your procedures and be able to, re once again, repeat the process over and over again so that 
um, you are evolving, you are growing, and you can have a better program down the road. Yeah, and again, just that, that plug again for 1176, you know, the, 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 it, it's really a, two, a healthy two-pronged approach for listeners. And I want to take advantage of the timer. Right? Is it's sure. the likelihood classification and then the data integration, because you said something earlier. It's like, what if you've hydro-tested the line? Yeah, it's a big And piece. you have these calls, and it's 35% deep call, yeah. but you add the tool tolerance, right? 50, yeah. I have to go dig it as an immediate? Right. And so what 1176 allows you to do is it allows you to integrate the likelihood of it being a crack-like feature. Right with the appropriate response based on its consequence, Which goes right? back to the terminology thing. <laughs> yeah. It says crack-like, right? It yeah. says crack or crack-like. So you need that classification. Yeah. You need that additional analysis to determine what, what am I responding to? And, and, and if you're, and if you're lost, ask for help. If, yeah, and if <laughs> yeah. you're listening wondering why we're making such I'm a big down. deal over 1.25, again, I don't have enough time to get into it. You go down the regulations further, well, for your two-year conditions or your one-year conditions, that number gets bumped up to less than 1.39 for class one locations yeah. and 1.5 for class two. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it becomes starts to become much harder. It becomes any. Yeah, like, it quickly, basically very, becomes you have response big. criteria for any feature potentially detected by a crack tool. So again, operators, go ahead and, and be aware of that. All right, so we got one more topic. Okay. That was going to throw out that football sure. uh, because Miss Producer is signaling, and this has been a great episode. I want to be respectful of your time. You've no been problem. awesome today, Thank Brian. You. By the Wait, you're definitely not Spawn. I mean, <laughs> of all the characters he could have thrown out yeah. at you, I don't know. It's a Spawn's cool book. It when I cool read this, book. I'm going to be like texting Christopher. I, all I'm what say, were you thinking? There was a movie made for Spawn that is yeah. so bad. Okay. It, do not watch it. Okay. Do not go. It's It's got to be one of the worst comics. John Leguizamo did okay on No, the it's horrible. Oh, okay. It's ter- The oh. client is terrible. Supposedly dude. they're remaking it. It's in the works. Okay. The, the original Spawn one, which I think I might actually have in my comic collection, yeah. was fabulous. And I remember getting that as a kid. Yeah. I remember when he was interviewed. Sounds great. Okay. It uh, comes into the two-year conditions here. Okay. And so what it says is in part uh, two-year response criteria, and this is uh, part five or V. Yeah. It says metal loss that is located at a crossing of another pipeline. Right. So obviously that's because you can have crosstalk between your, your um, interference issues. Your interference issues with your, systems. yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. In an in is in an area with widespread circumferential corrosion. I thought widespread. What? That's another WTH. What the hell is widespread? And unfortunately, once again, they didn't define it, right? So, you know, you see these terms throughout um, the, the both the gas and liquid. They got mm-hmm. this from the liquid code. This is they did. The I code. knew it. I've seen um, it in the liquid um, code. So widespread circumferential general corrosion is yep, being general defined. corrosion. Yep. You know, there's certain things that. Once well, again, general, we could tie to POF, right? If we chose to, although if the you code define it that way, define it. If, if you define you it, that way. so it goes back to, and not that they were endorsing that. We're no, not that, endorsing that. Not what we're saying. Right. We were just making yep. a connection. Yep. And so it goes back to you as an operator have to define that because, once again, if you can't define, defend, you're going to be at a, at a loss here. Uh, so for repeatability and consistency, def- you got to define what widespread circumferential corrosion is. They didn't do us any favors, so. Hopefully you get a good definition. You talk to the experts and say, "Well, what do you think?" Talk to your liquid operators that have been doing. Talk to your liquid operators. You know, uh, you know, energy transfer. We have we have both gas and liquid, so we have something in place. But still, you know, you gotta talk to your other uh, other operators. Gotta talk to your experts to define it. Because if you don't and just think you can ignore it, it's gonna catch you. Yeah, it's gonna catch you. We like to throw references out there. So I think something that you guys can consider as listeners if you want to do some homework is it's, you know, B31G, which gives you your traditional metal loss defect assessment evaluation methods, which is B31, modified B31, and effective area, which are the most common. Um, They don't always produce conservative 
results when you're dealing with certain metal loss morphologies, i.e. shapes, particularly for circumferential, right? So if it's preferentially in the circumferential orientation, they can produce non-conservative results. So that's just a little plug as to one of the basis for why they kind of do that. Right. A resource you could take a look at is I know um, there's a, a, a formerly known as the Advantica report. Yeah. It's in 2009. Um, if, if you Google yeah. it, it's it's yeah, it was by FIMSA. It, it, it's actually like a GL. I can't say that. I think DMV GL brought Advantica or something. It, like yeah, that. It's, 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 if you right. want to Google it, it's GL um, Advantica Report 2009. Yeah, and they really they do a great job of breaking yeah. down where B31 modified B31 R string are conservative and non-conservative. And so, if you guys want to do some homework, I, I think yeah. that's a good reference. But I, I just I just really <laughs> you need to define it because you don't want to say it's any. Metal loss, yeah, at a crossing because that's not that's not what they're trying to say here. Any, it's widespread. It's got to be it's widespread. quite clear, <laughs> right? Right. Just widespread circumferential. Right. Because just if it was it. any, it would just be all fifty percenters, and that's so not widespread. To me, is it has to go all the way around the circumference and then touch. So if even if it doesn't. Touch, <laughs> Sure. I, that's how you want to define it, Rhett. I should have looked up Google. I should have asked Google Wide what spread, widespread, widespread means. means. I bet yeah. you would say pervasive or something like that. Right. Um, this was well, fun. Anyway, this was fun. This was fun. I, I, Brian, I really I appreciate agree. you coming on. I yeah. feel like there there could be another episode in the works. Oh, I've been, been hounding you for a while, so yeah. I'm glad we were able to make it work. No, yeah, me too. I, I, I Well, you know why he had too. time. He had time because the Aggies aren't in a bowl game. So he's like, <laughs> I don't have to uh, watch them play football. So <laughs> You had to bring it up. You had to bring it up. Because <laughs> it was such a bad year. It was a bad year. A lot so of unfortunate, bad. you know. Weren't y'all we ranked super high at the yeah, beginning we paid of the year? Nine and a half y'all were ranked like top ten. Yeah, yeah, we started number six, baby, yeah. and finished number yeah. sixty something. Maybe Johnny Injuries. needs to be the coach or something. Isn't that a trend oh. to bring like former players in as coaches yeah, on the coaching staff? Deion Sanders, he could have interviewed for the job. Right. It <laughs> oh was, my goodness. It was tough. Yeah, it was tough watching, but still. Well, anyway, Brian, we want to thank you for coming on. Hope yeah, you come back. Problem. It's been fun. Uh, to our audience, thank you for joining us again. Um, we're going to continue. we got some more discussions on the updated gas rule. And again, thank you guys for listening to the Pipeline Things podcast. We'll be back with you guys again in two weeks. I am your host, Thing, and my co-host, Christopher DeLeon. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>